Blog Talk Radio. everyone. My name is Rose Jimenez and welcome to Violet Reiki Radio. A little bit of a change up here. Usually the show is broadcast in the evening every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. However, this week, because my guest is going to be calling in from Scotland, pardon me, Um, We had to do a switch up because they are five or six hours ahead of us. So now it's like eight or nine o'clock his time. So we accommodate if we can. And uh, it's great to know that uh, I was able to move the show time up from 9 p.m. to 3 p.m. And I'm even thinking of possibly moving the show up a little earlier from 9 p.m. maybe to 7 or 8. Uh, if anybody wants to call in and let me know how they feel about that, uh, what their thoughts are on changing Violet Reiki Radio's broadcast time, uh, please give me a call, 347-677-0699 here in the studio. Or you can send me uh, an email or you know a comment on Facebook, Violet Rose Frakey, and let me know what you think about changing the time, uh, broadcast time for Violet Reiki Radio to an earlier time of day, moving it from 9 p.m. up a little earlier. Um, First off, I'd like to once again thank the Seika Network and the founders of the Seika Network for giving me this opportunity to bring the show to you guys every week where we talk about Reiki and all things surrounding Reiki, its discovery, the roots, the practice, and more. We speak about things that were of great interest to Reiki's founder, Mikao Usui. Um, Here he was interested in everything from religion to martial arts to sociology to philosophy, 
theology, um, metaphysics, you name it, he was interested in it. He was a very lively man who had great gusto for life and um, was into everything and couldn't learn enough. Uh, and thank goodness, because of his insatiable appetite for education, among other things, um, he discovered in Reiki and brought it to us and this beautiful healing uh, gift as well as personal and spiritual guidance or, or you know, um, program, uh, we all are now able to use it, learn it, and develop our lives and empower ourselves through the power of Reiki. So it's a, a wonderful thing. Reiki is universal life force energy, the universal life force energy that surrounds all of us. It is an intelligent energy of love and wholeness. It understands the cause of problems and what healing is necessary. The Reiki energy has a wisdom of its own. Healing and balancing all aspects of a person's mind, body, emotions, and spirit. Reiki is a blessing, an instantaneously conferred sacred potential for healing, protection, and spiritual and personal development. As I said earlier, my name is Rose Menes, and I am the founder and owner of Violet Rose Reiki. I practice Reiki in Nassau County, Long Island, New York, and I give Reiki sessions, healing sessions, counseling sessions, as well as teach Reiki classes. I am a Reiki Shihan teacher in four methods of Reiki. You can find my website at www.violetroserreiki.com. Feel free to send me an email at rose at violetrosereiki.com and you can also find me on Facebook as Violet Rose Reiki. I also have a page on Facebook that is for long distance Reiki healing. The page is called Reiki Ward. Reiki Ward is three years old plus. We're going toward our fourth year. And uh, all you need to do is to post your healing request on the Reiki Ward page. Just search in on Facebook, type in Reiki Ward, look for a Reiki Ward page, and post your healing request there. It could be for yourself, family member, friend, human or animal, and we'll get right on it. We have about two to 300 practitioners, Reiki practitioners, who check out the Reiki Ward page daily and they contribute generously of their time and energy to send Reiki for all these requests that come in. And once the uh, Reiki distance healing is done, here at Reiki Ward, we have a healing crystal grid that we place those requests on for 24-7 healing Reiki energy. Once a request is put on Reiki Ward, we will continue to send healing until the person who requested such then requests us to cease. So
So it's, you know, you don't have to remind us every day to, you know, send healing or once a week. We don't forget you. Once we start, we keep going. And uh, if you say, hey, you know, all's well. I'm healed. My friend is healed. My dog, my cat. Uh, you can stop. Then we stop. Um, there's something going around. I just want to point out at the beginning of the show because maybe some of you um, – have come across this in your business and your in your dealings. Uh, it seems people nowadays there's so much information on the internet, and there are so many people using photos and things that you know we don't think about copyright issues. We don't think about intellectual property issues. We just see a picture, we like it, we take it, we use it. Okay. Um. Personally, I have been trying to connect with um, a garden because I want to use a photo from their website for my upcoming book, and I'd like to use their photo for my cover, but I will not do so without permission. So I've contacted them by email and by phone, and I'm still waiting. And because I'm still waiting on the permission, I will not use the photo. So. It's holding up my publishing of my second book. However, um, I will not do anything until I reach these people and, and get their permission. And if I don't get their permission and I get impatient, I want to publish the book, then I'll use another photo of mine or, you know, a photo that I know will not be connected to any kind of copyright uh, or intellectual property infringement. But People are just willy-nilly running around doing this, and it's happened to me uh, three times in the past month where people have seen my logo, taken it, not inquired, and uh, have used it on their websites or on whatever it is they're doing. And years ago, you know, you'd say to somebody, hello, you're using my photo, that's my property, please, could you not do that? And they'd be very polite and... Uh, they would say, okay, I'm sorry, and end the story, amicable resolution. But this time, in two instances, I was confronted by one of them. I was interrogated and felt that this person wanted me to defend myself, my logo, my intellectual property, which made no sense. Um, and the the other person just insulted me so i don't know what's happening but you know i think people are starting to think i can do whatever i want willy-nilly whatever no personal responsibility no care no consideration no respect but um i'm just throwing it out there and now i'm getting off my soapbox <laughs> my guest today is paul sutherland and he's known as Paul Wildcat Sutherland on Facebook. And Paul is many, many things. And I pray he gets here soon because I don't see a call in. And um, he has published a book called Orion and the Wildcat. And it's kind of his story on how he came to where he is and all of the happenings in his life that helped him on his 
personal and spiritual growing journey. Uh, he spent much of his early life working uh, in sales and marketing, mostly in the travel and automotive industries. And it was while working on an American air base in Germany that he met his partner, Joanne, the mother of his two boys, Daniel and Christopher. They spent almost seven years together before Joanne contracted cancer and died in November of 2003. It was then that he began his quest in looking for more meaning to life, spiritual adventure began. So Paul's quest was kind of very much similar to the quest of the founder of Reiki, Mikao Sui, because in as much as Mikao Sui was, came from a good family and was uh, of Tendai Buddhists, and he was um, from a family that was of samurai origin, and he was an accomplished martial arts um, practitioner. He knew about religion. He was very um, well-educated. Um, he kept searching for, he kept saying to himself, there's got to be more meaning to life. There's got to be more than this, you know? And and that was his quest. And that's what led him to take his 21-day retreat to Mount Kurama. And that's where he found Reiki. So uh, we have two gentlemen here who have similar pathways and we would love to um listen to Paul discuss his his road but right now I'm going to take a brief break before we have uh and see what's going on here and I would like to play for you guys if I can find it the Reiki Gokai song that was created by my dear friend and colleague Colin Powell. Colin is a Reiki master teacher over in the UK and he also is a musician. When he's not doing Reiki, he is writing music, playing music. Uh, he's wonderful. Um, you can find a lot of Colin's stuff on CD Baby and you can also find this Wonderful Gokai song on CD Baby. And um, I guess just Google him, Colin Powell Music. Um, this song is really, and, and it's wonderful, which is why I've added it to my curriculum, the five Reiki precepts that Reiki practitioners learn and say every day um, are the words to this song, basically, and they're in Japanese. And they're in English. And a lot of times in my Reiki classes, when I teach my students the five precepts or the Gokai, I say, well, you know, this is how you say it in English. And then now we're going to learn how to say it in Japanese. And everybody, you know, is having a 
you know, some people have a difficult time with Japanese pronunciations, and so we say it a couple of times. And I can just see by the end of the class, if if we bring that subject up again, people are going, um, yeah, well, no, I'll say it in English. I don't, I don't, I don't need to say it in Japanese. But thanks to Colin and this song, he's made it very easy for people to learn how to say the Reiki precepts in. Uh, in Japanese. So, you know, when I first heard it, I played it once, I played it twice, and then I put it on repeat. It's such a cute, wonderful, catchy song. I bet by the end of this song, you're going to be singing along with it. So, ladies and gentlemen, with no further ado, uh, listen to this Gokai song, and I will be back.
Okay, we are back, but I'm going to take another break because I have to attend to something. So, and I'm so sorry, but um, this is live radio and this is what we got to do. I am going to have you guys listen to this wonderful announcement and I promise I will be back. This is Namdi Asamoah. I play football for the Philadelphia Eagles, but what I do off the field with United Way might be more important. I'm a volunteer tutor and mentor. Why? Because over a million kids a year drop out of school, and that's not okay. It takes years to create a graduate, but at the same time to create a dropout. And the difference between a child becoming one or the other could be me, or it could be you. Studies show that if we get to these kids early, their chances are better. And kids who read well by third grade are more likely to graduate. So join me in United Way. Suit up and take the pledge. Become a volunteer reader, tutor, or mentor. Because when a child succeeds, we all succeed. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Take the pledge at unitedway.org. Council and the National Football League. This is Annalise of Eurythmics, the RAD. Please don't drink and drive, and don't drive if someone else is drinking. Thank you. This announcement brought to you by the U.S. Department of Transportation, RAD, the National Association of Broadcasters, and the Ad Council. Today in school, I learned a lot. In chemistry, I learned that no one likes me. In English, I learned that I'm disgusting. And in physics, I learned that I'm a loser. Today in school, I learned that I'm ugly and useless. And in gym, I learned that I'm pathetic in, in history, I learned that I'm trapped. Today in school, I learned that I have no friends. In English, I learned that I make people sick. And at lunch, I learned that I sit on my own because I smell. In chemistry, I In biology, I learned that I'm stupid. And in math, I learned that I'm trash. Didn't learn in school today? The only thing I didn't learn today. The only thing I didn't learn? They want to help, but they don't know how. Teach them how to stop bullying. At stopbullying.gov. A message from the Ad Council. Hi, this is Eddie Morales from Ticket at Old School on KCAA 1050 AM. I want to take this opportunity to invite you to the martial arts event of the year, the Masters Hall of Fame on Saturday, June 22, 2013 at the Orange County Hilton, located in Costa Mesa, California. This year's theme is Women in the Martial Arts. Our guest speaker will be Lisa the Black Widow King. We will be honoring many legends in the martial arts. Join Dan and I from Ticket at Old School at the Masters Hall of Fame Saturday 
Saturday, June 22nd, 2013. Get your tickets now at MastersHallOfFame.org. And now, on with the show. Sutherland, and we are communicating via Skype right now. There was a little mix-up in the time, and uh, Paul thought I was it was going to be at 9 p.m. Scotland time, uh, although I think it, I, I don't know what time it's in Scotland right now. It's either 8 or approaching 9 or something anyway, but we are, <laughs> we are chatting. And Mr. Sutherland is trying to find his way to the show. Um, and we should be hearing from him, well, soon. Uh, let me see who's on the line here. Hi, you're on the line with Violet Reiki Radio. Hey, sis, how you doing? Oh, thank God. <laughs> Um, messing with time differences. Are you awake? <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm awake. What time is it in Bonnie, Scotland? 25 past 8. Okay, so you kind of thought you were early, huh? <laughs> yeah. I was preparing to come on at 9. attention to my post that kept saying, hey, everybody, 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time on Radio Radio. <laughs> yeah, well, see, that's where I made my mistake. I thought that was 9 p.m. my time, but it's not. You're only five hours ahead in New York, not six. Yeah, it switches like that. It makes everybody crazy. I wish they yeah. would just leave, leave the time where it is. Stop <laughs> messing around with it. You know, an hour more or less sun for the crops is not going to be the end of the world in my mind. What do I know? <laughs> what the bleep do I know? Well, welcome. Thank nice you. to hear you, bro. Nice to hear you, bro. I, I, I want you to do a lot of talking because I could just listen to you talk forever. Uh, reminds me of home, you know? So it's like, okay. Um, I have been chattering, nattering on about you here to the best of my ability. <laughs> oh, good, I hope. I uh, told everybody about, you know, the beginning of your life and, you know, how you met Joanne and that you have two lovely, wonderful boys, Daniel and Christopher, and um, that you... And I don't know if you realize, it's very much akin to the founder of Reiki, Mikao Usui, 
you started looking for more meaning to life and, you know, what's the deal? And that's how your spiritual adventure began. Well, I think it actually began before that. Um, it was always there. I think it is always there in, in everyone. But um, it takes a life event, such as someone that you're very close to dying, um, sometimes to uh, to spur you on to to look for more meaning. And I guess that's kind of what happened. You know, when someone when someone dies so young, and you know, people die all the time, um, young, old, you know, kids even. And um, some people can accept it and get on with it. Uh, in fact, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is quoted as saying that uh, death is a graduation. And I think the actual quote was something like, when she died, she wanted her kids to release blooms into the air um, to celebrate her graduation. So if you look at it that way, then it brings everything into a whole new perspective. It's, it's basically the universal God, or whatever you want to call it, saying, you've done what you had to do, now it's time to come back for a rest. Time to go home, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Back to source. Right? <laughs> right. I, I don't know where it comes from. Culturally, I think, you know, we're all kind of taught, you know, dying is such a bad thing. And I really can't off the top of my head think of a culture that celebrates death. Although... I tell you, we're coming upon uh, the um, Samhain, Halloween, Day of the Dead kind of period of time here. And I know in Mexico, on the Day of the Dead, which is uh, November 1st, they all go to the cemeteries and they bring flowers and fruit and food and candles and every, it's like a banquet. And the family members actually celebrate over the grave of their deceased family members. It's like one big party. Um, mm-hmm. That being said, it's a, it's a case of honoring the dead. But it's, again, that being said, it's not like, you know, somebody dies and, and the people go, oh, what a beautiful thing, you know. <laughs> They're going, oh, let's celebrate. This is great. We all, we lose someone. And we're, you know, temporarily traumatized by it. Well, I think the thing for me was the fact that the kids were so young. Oh, yeah. Um, I mean, Daniel and Christopher were just two and four years old then. So Mm -hmm. suddenly it's thrust upon you being a single parent. And it's uh, that's that's probably more difficult to get to grips with, you know, because you you go from... uh, Working, living the average life, really. You know, you go to work, you come home, and um, you see the kids and have your dinner and play with the kids for a while. And um, it was Joanne that looked after the kids mostly. So to go from that and be thrust straight in at the deep end, for one of a better word, it's quite a shock. It's a shock to the system. But um, you're right in what you're saying there because that, that's that's when I did really start to think, you know, there must be more to there must be more to life than just your nine to five job. 
You know, you wake up in the morning, you go to work, you come home, you go to bed. There's got to be more to it than that, and that's that's when the uh, that's when the spiritual quest began. And you know, of course, you know our good friend John Harry Turan. Yes, yes, he was on the um, show. I don't know if you if you know that even. Yeah, yeah. Because I know you're a little bit running around crazy these days. You know, you, you're busy. You got a lot of new stuff happening. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, um, I wouldn't say I'm back in the nine to five, but uh, it's uh, I'm certainly out and about and uh, getting back into the, the workforce again, which is something that was was very difficult to do uh, when you've got two young kids, as any mother will probably tell you. Yep. <laughs> Very difficult to do, but you're doing it. You know, you're you're getting there. Um, so now, yeah, tell me how this spiritual quest started, or or you know what I really want to know? Your book, Orion and the Wildcat, um, mm-hmm. which I read, I read in one fell swoop. Um, I could not, <laughs> I couldn't put it down, and um, I was just, I just kept reading and reading, and it it was wonderful because. You know, when I was very young, I had spirit guides, and here I am. Uh, I'm, I'm moving towards 60 here, and um, I didn't realize when I was a child. First of all, when I was a child, I thought it was normal to hear, you know, voices in your ear and, you know, these people, entities, whatever, telling you what to do, and I would do it, and every time I did it, everything worked out fine, and then as I got older, which I think we all do, uh, I I know better than anyone. <laughs> so when the voice said, do this, Rose said, no, I'll do that. And that would every single time mess me up. But again, that took many years to learn. And it took me, well, I don't know, maybe 40 some odd years to learn that. And I started listening a bit more. And honestly, uh, it's it's wasn't until I say like the last seven years or the last five years that I'm actually listening almost every single time when I hear my guide say, don't do this. <laughs> you know, I don't do it. But when did you become aware of Orion and, and that you had, you know, spirits helping you along your journey? Well, you know the subtitle to the book, Orion the Wildcat, it's a journey into spirit and the voices of the heart. Uh-huh. And so I, a lot of people say that they have they have spirit guides, but we don't really know is it is it a spirit guide or is it just that inner voice? I like to think that it's, it's spirit guides, and right. that's that's where Orion and Fern came in. And the book is more or less about listening to that inner voice or listening to the voices of the heart. And you'll know if you've read the book that I didn't do that with disastrous consequences. <laughs> no, 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 you really, in that book, I, you know, it's like when you're watching one of those movies and a fight scene comes on and you see the main character and, like, this gang is beating him up and every punch he takes, you're like, oh, oh, and as I'm reading this book, I'm going, oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> oh, poor Paul. But, yeah, I think so, you know, now that you mentioned it, the spirit guides and listening to the heart, I think, see, to me, I think the heart and the soul, the heart, the soul,
soul and the mind are connected. Like a lot of doctors are saying nowadays, you know, body, mind, soul. Yes. I think it's also, you know, mind, heart, soul, because I feel that if we could listen to our souls, or for lack of a better word, or, you know, also say our heart, I think that inner voice within us that we say a lot of times, listen to your heart, I think that's also your soul speaking to you. And then at the same time, we're blessed with having spirit guides, or some people call them guardian angels. Yeah, and we're also blessed with eagles, which we have to tame. Oh, that I call the ego the ego monster. <laughs> because, yeah, you have to tame that. And the thing is, one good thing about the ego, and I see a lot of people going through this now. I don't know when it hit you, Paul, but I know uh, I was around 45, 46. And, you know, you're all cocky and everything, and then all of a sudden the ego will take you by the back of the neck and slam your face into the floor and will not let you up until you get it. You've gone through that kind of experience, I, I, I assume. Well, yeah, and I think I think one of the biggest problems that we have on the planet really is relationships, and that's that's a lot of what Orion and Wildcat is about, um, about going into a relationship that you that your um, your spirit guides or your inner voice is absolutely screaming at you saying, no, just don't do that. Don't even go there. Because if you do, but do we listen? No, I didn't. And um, I guess in a way it's a life lesson as well. Um, in most relationships, at the beginning of the relationship, let's say, it's uh, it tends to be you know, the honeymoon period before you get married. <laughs> right. And it's it's kind of a time where I honestly think that a lot of people try to be something that they think the other person wants. All the time. And yeah, and in doing that, they're not they're not being true to themselves and they are not um, they're not their authentic self because one or the other partner will be trying to change something or all things about you. And right. I think that, that just kind of leads to the disaster. And I, I kind of got the first signals within the first 10 to 14 days. You know, that inner voice was saying, this, this isn't right, don't go ahead with this. You know, stop going down this road. End this now because if you don't, it's going to end in tears. And um, one, of the, one of the other things that, that I talk about quite a bit in the book is about fear. Um, some say false evidence appearing real, but sometimes it's, it's very real. Um, <laughs> it's, it's, another, it's, like, it's like the ego. It's, it's something else that you, have to, that you have to conquer. And the reason that I brought fear into it is that Looking, you know, they say that hindsight's a wonderful thing. And when you look back on an experience, and I'm not saying that you have to analyze it to death, but you can just, you can pick out certain aspects of it and you can see where the fear has come in. And that was because I'd gone kind of so far down the road to the point of getting engaged, thinking, you know, it's, it's no big deal because... 
um, when you're engaged, you can be engaged for you know two, three, four people get engaged for ten years. Twenty years. Some get, <laughs> some, some get married, some don't. Um, but as soon as we got engaged, the, the the wedding date was set for the the following May, and I thought, right, okay. And then you get into that stage where you think, well, I can't back out now, and this is where the fear kicks in. I can't back out now because, you know. But what why people not? Think. It's like. I, yeah. I can't back out now because she'll think I'm a horrible person and the guests will hate me. And, you know, you, mm-hmm. you do things that you, you, your authentic self, do not want to do. But because you worry about everybody else, you do them. Yeah, and it's all fear-based. Yeah. yeah. Fear about what other people think. So... Sometimes you just have to go along with uh, what my good friend John Harry Charan says. You, do, you adopt a divine, don't give a damn attitude. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because like, I always tell the story how I was a chameleon for most of my life because I was the next best thing to an only child. I had two older brothers, but they were like 15 and 17 years older than me. And I was always alone when I was a child. And... I wanted people to like me, friends and people and what have you. And if the person I was playing with that day didn't like the color red, well, and they liked purple, I'd be purple. And then it it grew into every other relationship. You don't like green, I'll be blue. You don't like blue, I'll be yellow. And it's exhausting. It's exhausting morphing yourself and doing things that you really don't want to do, but because you're afraid to hurt someone, make someone unhappy, lose the attention of a playmate or a partner or what have you, so you're really not living your own life and you're you're losing it's like you're leaking energy. And I remember mm-hmm. the day that I was sitting in my office so miserable, I think mid divorce or something, and I said, you know, I'm tired, I'm exhausted, and I'm not gonna do this anymore and I was really literally talking to God at that point. And I felt this wonderful energy come down upon me and I'm like, you know what? This is divine source energy. Divine source loves me. I'm lovable. I am lovable. Woohoo. <laughs> so with, with that yeah. With that feeling, it's like I don't need this I know I'm not gonna get this feeling from any human being. I know I don't need this feeling from any human being. And if God loves me and I am lovable, then I love me. And it was at that point in time that I said, done deal. And I stopped being the chameleon and I stopped pandering to people, kind of, just to be liked and accepted and what have you. And I was scared to death. I really was scared to death uh, because I said, wow, I may wake up tomorrow being the authentic real me and have not a friend in the world. But I knew I would always have God. And that was my turning point. Because it's okay. <laughs> well, I think really my my turning point actually came way back, um, way back before I actually met Joanne um, out in Germany, and it was the late. That was the early nineties, and um, at the time I was working for uh, a major uh, travel agency. I was a travel agency manager back then. Mm-hmm. Seems like a previous lifetime now. <laughs> <laughs> and um, 
there was just there was, you know, there, was, there was so much going on. There was stress. There was uh, things were out of control, and uh, I, I just decided, you know, I'm going to go on holiday. I'm not going to go on holiday with anybody. I'm just going myself, and I'm just going to kick back, relax, do nothing, have nobody around me saying, you know, we need to go and do this or what about this trip. That was that was just a no-no. So I made the decision. I'm going to go out and mourn. And I went out to uh, Tenerife uh, for a couple of weeks. And about three days, almost three days into the holiday, uh, I was walking back to the hotel. And it's just a rumor that Scott's are always drunk. Don't believe a word of it. Uh, <laughs> no, no, no. Scott's a perfected <laughs> drinking. Scott's don't get drunk. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I hadn't been drinking uh, heavily, you know, I'd, uh, been in the bar, had a couple of beers. It was the third night there, and I was walking back to the hotel, and I could only have been a few hundred yards away from the hotel when, uh, you know, I have no idea what happened. But the next thing that uh, I woke to was being in a hospital in Tenerife, the tubes and wires and machines all over the place, and uh, I had no idea what happened. And this was three days later. And uh, one, of the, one of the doctors said to me, well, you've had a, a cerebral aneurysm. And I said, yeah, that's great. Well, what does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and the doctor, you know, he really just said to me, well, quite frankly, he said, you should be dead. I mean, you were, you were clinically dead. Um, I don't know for how long. Um, he says, but, you know, you, you just shouldn't have survived what just happened. I said, well, thanks very much. That's, that's very kind of you. Thanks for letting me know. <laughs> <laughs> so that that was my, that was kind of my brush of death. And I, I didn't, you know, a lot of people will say when they have that, they have a, a, an out-of-body experience or they have experiences um, of, of going into the light and, and things like that. Now, if I did, and whether what happened or not had anything to do with it, I didn't, or I don't remember any of that. I don't remember any of that happening. I just remember walking down the street and then waking up in the hospital. The three days in between are just gone. You know, I don't remember anything about them. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't actually until I got back to the UK. Um, that, yeah, here's a good thing. Get sick when you go on holiday because you get flown back in a private Learjet. You know, none of your none of your economy class. Finally, <laughs> 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 jet, very straight into Glasgow Airport. But um, it was when I went to uh, the Western General, uh, which is actually the hospital I was born in in Edinburgh. Uh, they have a, a really big kind of neurosurgery unit there, and um, the the top neurosurgeons said that they, they could not explain what had happened um, because there was no medical... In fact, they basically def- defied all medical knowledge. They, they just couldn't um, pinpoint how what happened could happen. Now, what, what they say actually happened was the, there was a blood vessel burst at the front uh, lobe of the brain the blood vessel burst, leaked blood into the brain, which was obviously what caused me to collapse. Mm-hmm. But then the blood vessel resealed itself. 
and that's unheard of. Um, and that, that kind of gave me a, a, a kick into spirituality as well. Uh, Richard Back, you know, the, the author of Jonathan Livingston Siegel, right. um, he, he once said that, um, how do you know if your mission on earth is over? If you're still here, it's not. <laughs> you're still alive, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, yep. that, kind of, that kind of got me thinking along those lines as well. You know, there was a, there was a purpose for me being here. Um, maybe the purpose for me being here was my voice. You know, because had I died at that point, I would never have met Joanne, and neither of the boys would have been born. Right. So my mission, my mission certainly wasn't over at that point. Um, quite what the mission is, I still not quite got a handle on it yet. Um, but we live, we learn, and we grow. Baby that's, steps. That's baby I, steps. Yeah. Baby steps. Yeah. Well, that's another thing. We're all in a rush. Everybody's in a rush, you know. Take the uh, three-day course to becoming a high guru. What, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, instant coffee, instant coffee. It's like people slow down. I've issued a moratorium on uh, multitasking. I refuse to do it because hmm. it defeats the purpose of being in the now and being in the moment. I don't care who, what, it's Multitasking just doesn't work. And I don't think anyone should be doing it. <laughs> but that's just me. You know? No, it can't be done. <laughs> but but to, yeah, to, you're, you're to, right. To what you're avail? To what to what what advantage? Where are you getting with all of this? Well, you get more done in, in less time. But is it? Are you getting more done in a quality fashion? Probably not. Probably. <laughs> are you um, are you killing yourself with stress while you're multitasking? It's probably yeah. contributing to it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like looking at job ads. You know, you look at job ads, and I swear to God, they're changing because I look and I'll read a job description for an office manager and what they're telling you the title of the job is is admin assistant or they're calling the job bookkeeper you know the thing it's like the you know the you know the three walnut shells with the p underneath and they switch them around and you got to tell the guy where the p is but you know he knows how to switch these or whatever he's doing and they're really taking advantage of you. They're starting to do that with jobs and job descriptions because mm. the big corporations, they want to get the most bang for their buck. So depending on the title they put with it, and the title is always of a lesser paying salary, but the job description has the requirements of a higher paying salary, that's a one big get over, and that word multitasking is in every single one of them. <laughs> <laughs> Must be able to. I mean, I'm all for you know putting quality into your work and whatever you do. Right. Um, but how many how many employers or how many um, corporate employers, let's say, have um, any kind of spirituality or? Or any kind of um, 
uh, empathy in their workforce. Now, I speak to people every day, Chris, you know, and it's amazing just how many people absolutely hate their jobs. Oh, I believe it. Because yeah, because they're, they're not getting any satisfaction from it. They're not getting any, there's nothing that's nourishing them. Um in the job. And things are things are being taken away from them. I mean, I just I mean, I'm in the workforce now, it's forty years and I remember when I first started um here when you worked in a law firm, they gave you four weeks vacation. And the reason behind the four weeks vacation, because everybody else in the world is getting two, but the reason behind the um, four weeks was because law, and again, 40 years ago, law was a very stressful industry. And there were always um, time crunches and everything was time is of the essence. So the people who worked in law would burn out because... It was a lot of stress. So they wanted their mm-hmm. employees to take a week's vacation every three months, which is why they gave you four weeks. So that if you had a week off every three months, you'd be fine. And there was consideration for the employees at that time. And over the years, it has diminished and diminished and diminished to now you're lucky if you get a week or possibly two. And employers are pushing you to multitask. And employers are pushing you to do it faster, do more, and do more faster. And this is killing people. And on top of it, they don't want to pay you. <laughs> so people are miserable. Am I right in saying that was was it Robin Sharma, the monk that sold his Ferrari? Was that was that not a lawyer that um, kind of went into overdrive and bond out? Who was it? Robin Sharma, the monk who sold his Ferrari. I don't the, know. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I'm sure that was a that was a lawyer. But um, well, yeah, I'd say 99% of the population, and I'm talking world population, don't like what they do. Right. Yeah, they, they do it because they have to do it because they have to pay bills, and um, you know, start working. 16 or, or 18, unless you go to you know college and university for a, for a few years after that. And um, I think a, a lot of people retire at 60 or 65, and they look back on their working life and say, you know, was it worth it? Did I do everything that I could to to do something that I love? And Did you have quality of life? I mean, a lot of times yeah. people talk about quality of life when it comes to older people you know you get to the point where it's like um being home with your children or having someone from the family take care of you or go off to a nursing home or whatever and it's like oh quality of life quality of life. why are we thinking about quality of life when we're in our late 70s and our 80s why don't we think about quality of life all the time it's our life it should because have to do it all the time <laughs> it's true because i have friends here in new york um and, you know, New Yorkers, we're like, oh, I'm a New Yorker, you know, and I wouldn't live anywhere else. But, and it's like, no, I, I actually, I'm at the point where I would, and I'm looking, because we can't afford to live in New York. It's insane. The rentals, the mortgages, the taxes, you need three jobs to be able to afford to be living in New York. Now, whether it's New York City 
or it's the surrounding suburbs, or like I'm on Long Island, doesn't matter. We all who live here cannot afford to live here unless we're each working three jobs. That's insane. So yeah, if I move someplace else, like I have a slew of friends in Florida, I have a cousin who was in Florida, and now she moved to North Carolina. Um, I've looked at house rentals and prices down south, <laughs> and it's one-third of what it would cost me to continue living here in New York. So why would I want to continue this rat race, this craziness, this insanity? And it's warmer. And it's warmer, and it's yeah. Warmer. Hell yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, I don't know what the economy is like in Scotland, but, like, how are you guys doing over there? Um, well, I haven't been back for about four months, five months now. Um, after my four years in Sweden. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, to be honest, I don't, I don't even look at the economy. I don't read the news. I don't listen to the news. So half the time I've got no idea what's going on in the economy. Yeah, sometimes things will pop up and, you know, some factories shutting down and, you know, there's 300 jobs or 400 jobs going or um, some companies relocating to... Uh, one of the Eastern Bloc companies or to the Far East or to India and all the jobs are gone because in those countries the the, uh, the workforce will take a much lower rate of pay. Right. But again, it's, it's, it's just down to big corporations um, cutting costs. But what they forget is while they're cutting costs, they're also cutting quality. Now, I'm not saying that there's anything wrong and I'm not saying there's anything fundamentally wrong with um, jobs going out to, to India and the Far East or Eastern Bloc countries. But a lot of the time it will be um, places like insurance companies or, or communication companies who are putting their um, customer service out to these places. Now, we don't speak English in Scotland a lot of the time. <laughs> you know, some some think we do, but, but many of us don't. So the people in you know the people in these other countries have got problems understanding what we're saying, and by the same token, um, the people in those countries um, have have trouble in, in making us understand what it is they're trying to tell us. And I've experienced <laughs> right. I've experienced this firsthand with with a couple of big companies. Obviously, I'm not going to name names, not in a live no, show. No. <laughs> um, <laughs> Don't get me in trouble, bro. I mean, no, no, no. But it's 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 um it's so frustrating sometimes that that you know you, you feel you're banging your head a brick wall because you're speaking to someone who doesn't understand the word you're saying, and by the same token, you you're having difficulty understanding in, in what they're saying. So I think long term, large corporations are are, are hurting themselves. Um, in fact, there's, there's companies here uh, in the UK, not just in Scotland, but in the UK as a whole, who, when they advertise on TV, will say something like, "All our call centres are UK based." Right. And what, what does that tell you? Somebody knows something. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, somebody's actually taking notice. 
Well, I have a friend who, when she calls one of these places, and she'll get, you know, like the guy will get on, and he's like, "Oh, hello, how may I help you today? My name is John." And she's like, "Oh no, no, where are you? Oh, I'm in Minnesota. Where? What's the weather like?" And she's like, "No, I want an American, you know, English-speaking whatever person um, to to take this call." And she'll ask for a supervisor, but she will not speak to someone who she knows is not in the United mm. States. That's a little and, bit racist. Well, you know, she's a little <laughs> bit out there, so you know, she just. I usually, I know, yeah, I'm not going to mention this company either, but I had to call them all the time because of their bookkeeping software, and I couldn't understand what the heck they were saying. And I would say, you know, can you please get me somebody who who speaks English because I'm having a really hard time with your accent. And, you know, they would accommodate me. And, um, but, yeah. And, And knowing the unemployment situation here in the United States, I... You know, it irks me that a lot of big corporations here in the United States are outsourcing work when you have people here who are starving. I mean, like the unemployment stats here, oh, unemployment's going down. Well, of course it looks like it's going down because when people are unemployed now, you go on the rolls of unemployment while you're getting the unemployment benefits for six months, and then after six months, bye, ta-ta, your problem, screw you, don't care if you're homeless, don't care you work, you know, 30, 40 years, bye. And then they say, oh, see, this whole roll of people just went off of unemployment. And they leave out the port, and now they're homeless. <laughs> mm. And where these jobs are coming from that everybody's talking about, I have no clue because I I haven't seen them. Yeah, well, as I say, I don't, I can't really speak for the the economy here. I know it's not bad. Um, I've no idea what the um, what the unemployment rate is in the UK um, because I tend to, I wouldn't say I, I live in a bubble or anything. Oh but, come on, um, Paul! You know we just, live in a bubble. Yeah. I live in a bubble. But, it's bad energy, isn't it? Yeah, no, I mean, no these, news. These are the kind of things when you let let soak in. If you watch, if you read too much, uh, uh, too much garbage in the newspapers or listen to the yeah. nightly news every night, it's. I um, I have no. I do not do radio. You know, any kind of radio broadcasting. You know, news, whatever these news talk shows and all that. None of that. No TV news. Uh what I get off of when I go online, Google or whatever I see, you know, if it's big enough, you're going to see it. You can't miss it, but mm. it's very low-level absorption of what's going on in the world, and I like to keep it that way. Because, like you said, you don't need that negativity, and I don't know of any form of media that's broadcasting, hey, everybody, it's a great day out. Aren't you lucky, you know, and aren't you happy that you're alive? And that, you know, all of your bodily parts are functioning and you see and the day is gorgeous and there are little animals running around. They don't don't tell you all of that. It's like, no, there's death, destruction, flood, turmoil, buildings falling down. Who needs to hear this? The people who feed on it. And there are many people who do feed on it, yes. Yeah, do feed on it. It's it's the same with, um, I don't know what it's like in the U.S., but we have uh, kind of soap operas here. 
Yes. Not so much the Dallas and the Dynasty, but um, you know, kind of urban, urban life. Coronation Street is is one of them I can remember, and it's it's all about, or for the most part, it's all about death, destruction, um, people going to prison, people doing drama. wrong, and I, yeah, it's drama. And I think it's for a lot of people, it's a it's an escape. Yeah, because they can sit in front of a box and they can watch something else happen, and then they can kind of say to themselves after the half hours up, well, you know, maybe my life's not quite so bad. Yeah. <laughs> but to base your life right. on a soap opera, come on. Right. No, but then there's the other part of the population that goes, oh my God, I can identify with that, and maybe my life is going to get as bad as this, and it'll get worse, and they're entertaining more negative activity, bringing it into their own lives. Mm. It's like no, here we have these, way too many. We have these reality shows that people are crazy over because mm. they just love watching them. Why do I want to see what some housewife in California or Jersey or Georgia or whatever how they're living and what they're doing? I have enough. I have to put my energy into my own reality. <laughs> Why do I want to watch this stuff? And it's all drama, and it's all complete silliness, but people love these shows. Yeah, we've, we've got the same here. Um, we have one called Big Brother. I don't know if you have that in the U.S. Big Brother? But, yeah, I think we have that. I can't stand that show. <laughs> yeah, but there's, but there's just a whole lot of people house-sharing that do certain tasks and then the the um the voted off every I have no idea if it's every week or every every couple of weeks. But right. they actually have cameras in the rooms where they're mm-hmm. sleeping. Mhm. And all you can see is beds with bodies in them. Now, right. Who would want to sit in front of a TV and watch that? I've only, I, I've, don't get me wrong, I haven't watched it. It's only because I flicked past it when I was channel hopping. And I thought, well, what's this? And it took me a couple of minutes to figure out that it was it was this program. And, and all you could see was a bunch of Edward bodies in them. Right. You know, there was an odd movement. And I thought, why would, why would somebody actually want to sit and watch somebody I was sleeping? You know? It's crazy. <laughs> But, um, yeah, I think it it, it just but it just boils down to um, a lot of people saying, "Well, you know, my life isn't that great, but it's not quite as bad as that." But you know, to base your uh, to base your life on a, a TV series or a, a soap opera or a reality show, whatever it might be, is is just a total nonsense. You know, it's time to wake up. Yeah, Too many like, people are still asleep. Too many people on the planet are still asleep. They haven't woken this, up to reality. They haven't seen true. the secret. Oh, you know, <laughs> you you read my mind. God, this is bad. Because I was just gonna say, you know, well, you know, they gotta they gotta get with the secret. <laughs> well, you're not really? using the secret. Do I really want to go there? Yeah. Why don't you give us your views on the secret, Paul? <laughs> um, 
I can sum it up in one, one word. Uh oh. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that was going to be the word. I was going to say, be careful. Um, yeah. Yeah, because these people who think that they're just going to do this and put up their little vision board and say, okay, here's my order. I want it. And it's going to come. Mm. I think a lot of them are still waiting. And they'll be waiting for a very long time. <laughs> but, you know, while they're waiting, it's like, you know, uh, it's like at the wedding. If you go to a wedding, you know, they have the cocktail hour before the reception. So, you know, it's like the cocktail hour. While they're waiting, mm-hmm. there are there are various types of gurus walking around, you know, saying, hey, let me sell you on this, too. And, and they're buying into all this other, for lack of a better term, mm-hmm. crap. <laughs> and, and um, yeah, kind of um, having their own uh, retrograde in spiritual progress of their own. Yeah. I don't, to be fair, I don't think the, the secret was fundamentally wrong. I think what annoys me the most about it is that they perpetuated it even when they knew what they were putting out there wasn't what they should be putting out there. I remember seeing a video on uh, YouTube with Bob Proctor on his private jet speaking to some reporter or you know interviewer or whatever she was. And at the end of it, he's saying, oh yeah, it's incomplete. We know it's incomplete. And the first words that popped out in my head was, well, if it's incomplete, why the bloody hell are you still selling it? You know? <laughs> because because of that, we can then sell you this. And then, you know, that's probably going to be a little bit incomplete as well. So, you know, we can sell you this. And I think that that's what annoyed me or what annoys me more than anything, that people are putting things out there that are and they know are incomplete. And they know that the way that they're putting it across isn't going to work for everyone. Some people might get lucky, you know. Some right. people win the lottery. That, that's the kind of luck. But that's the kind of luck that they were playing with, with, with things like the secret. It was a, it was a total lottery whether it was going to work or not. And I think probably one of the fundamental and most important things. Well, in fact, there's two, two fundamental and important things that they totally missed out there. One was that you need to take a little thing called action. You know, you don't sit in your arse when you're watching TV, mm-hmm. daydreaming, but <laughs> when you look outside the window next time, there's going to be a Ferrari there. It's going to happen. <laughs> you mean even if I put it on my vision board? Oh, even God. if you put it on your vision board. God. If you're really lucky, you might get an elephant in your room, shitting all over the place, you know. <laughs> Yeah, but well. it just it just doesn't work that way. So that that that's the first fundamental thing that was totally missed, right. and it is it is it is a key to making things work. You cannot do or go or be anything that you want to be unless you take action towards that, and that was just right. completely missed out. The other thing, um, in fact, a place that's probably more important than the action part is. Um, that 
the real key to the secret is feeling. Feeling is the secret. And that's actually the title of a book by Neville Goddard, who was around a long time before The Secret. I think he wrote that book back in the 40s or 50s. Don't quote me on it, I could be wrong, but it was was quite some time back. And really what, what Neville says is, unless you can feel it into being, it will never come. So just imagining things or putting them on your vision board, as you say, and uh, showing gratitude and all the stuff that they tell you to do just doesn't work. You've got to feel your way into it. You've got to feel right. that what you want is actually on its way. Um, he does. He does go into quite a bit, and it's a, the feeling. Feeling is a secret. Is a very short book. I, I actually have it on Audible, and I think it's something like thirty-five minutes long, and. It, Kid you not, there is more powerful information in that 35 minutes than anything The Secret gave. And what is that book called? It's called Feeling is the Secret. Feeling is the Secret, okay, yeah. Yeah. Well, never out. they tell you, you know, if you want to manifest money, you have to feel as though you have money. And I heard someone say the other day, I don't like the word abundance. I like the word Mm -hmm. prosperity because when you say abundance, uh, what are you inviting? You can invite, you know, oh, I want abundance. Well, what do you want? An abundance of problems, an abundance of locusts, an abundance of, you know, (laughs) stupidity? What kind of abundance are you talking about? But if you say outright, I want to manifest prosperity, well, then we're talking dollars and cents here. Mm-hmm. So it, it's all in the way that you say it and, and even feel it. Because if you're talking about, I want to manifest prosperity, what you're feeling in your in your being is, I have no money, I'll never have money, I don't, you know, I, that's not going to work. No, it doesn't. And you, you'll, you'll find that a lot of these um, programs and, you know, DVDs and all these other things that came out on the back of the secret. You know, there was a whole circus jumped on the back of it. Oh yeah. A lot, a lot of the time, nobody was interested in any kind of spirituality, in their awareness. Um, you know, any anything that uh, that was on a deeper level. Most of these programs played to money. And I really think the reason that they played to money was because that's what most people want, because they think money's going to hit, make make them happy. Well, money sure. Well, go, go to a large mall or whatever you have uh, over there, and, and a, well, you know, where there are a lot of cars parked, okay? And, and stand on top of your car and say, hey, everybody, and hold up a sign. Who wants to talk to me about money? Go on the right. Spirituality go on the left. I guarantee you, the right side of, of your vehicle there will be full of people, and you'll have nobody on the left because nobody wants to know about spirituality. Nobody wants to know about you know positive, good stuff. Nobody wants to know about how they can have a better life by just living a better life and being positive. You know, that's what I want. But money, yeah, I don't care how it gets here or what I have to do, I want it. <laughs> Still very much the mindset. Yeah, because they think that they think that money will fix everything. 
money will fix very few things apart from, you know, some instant gratification on, on things that you can things that you can buy. Well, money will not save yourself or a loved one from dying. Mm-hmm. That money doesn't will mean not. It's bad. No, but money yeah, will not buy you buy you true love. I mean, it'll buy you a night with a you know buddy or girlfriend or somebody will service you, but it's not going to buy you love. <laughs> My entertainment, but you know, there's a lot of things that money just will not buy. And you know what? The most important thing to me, and money cannot buy it, is peace of mind. Money cannot buy you peace of mind. So we got a long way to go. (laughs) That's that's just the way their culture is, Moses. It's it's money is money money orientated. You know, it's about keeping up with the Joneses. It's about, you know, having the, the best car. It's about having the biggest house. It's about being in the best golf club, you know? Um, yeah, yeah, and, it's, it's sad. The media has a big part to play in that as well because we've, we're bombarded with all sorts of advertising, um, TV oh, programs. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's all there. And everybody aspires or everybody wants to aspire to that. But what they're losing in the process. Now, yes, yeah. it's, it's good to have money. Um, it's good to have the things that, that, that money can buy. But I think people put too high a value and too much importance on it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I had the fire here back in 2010, and I got to say, years ago, I always had a very good job and I always made good money. And I went through the whole thing, you know. I had to have my designer clothes and shoes and bags and hats, and I would only shop in the, you know, Sex Fifth Avenue and Bonwood Teller and Bergdorf Goodman and all the expensive New York City stores and whatever. Um, but, I, you know, as you grow, you learn. So after the fire, I had to run out and buy clothes. Everything went. Um, and that's another thing that will teach you about material things and stuff and all of that. Uh, lose it all, and then see how you think about it afterwards. Um, I went and I bought my my fall winter wardrobe in a store here, Kmart. Okay, it's not Walmart, it's Kmart. But because it's a mart, you know the the uh, stuff you buy there is cheap, for lack of a better word, <laughs> or reasonable, depending on how you want to term it. But I went and I bought my fall winter wardrobe in Kmart and I called a friend of mine and said, I just came out of Kmart and bought my uh, fall winter wardrobe in there and asked me if I give a shit. And he said, I know I know you don't. I said, no, I need clothing. Okay? Period. End. Simple. Very simple. I need clothing. This is fine. Um, again, people are killing themselves to be like the Joneses and live that rich lifestyle because they think it's going to um, heal their wounds. They think it's going to satisfy them. They think it's going to fulfill them. But anything that mm-hmm. is going to satisfy you and fulfill you and, again, bring you peace of mind, it's not in a score. It's not something that you can see, hold, feel. It's intangible. And it's not something money can buy. No. Someplace else. Okay. If more people 
placed a higher value on spirituality and even meditation. How many how many people do you know that will meditate for at least an hour a day? And the benefits that that brings, or you know, very little, or any other of the healing energies. Very few people even probably know about them. Right. You know, I've asked I've asked some people here about meditation, and they've asked, you know, what is that? <laughs> well, you know, it's funny because in teaching Reiki, I teach my students to meditate, and the minute they hear the word meditation, it's like, oh no. And I'm like, you don't understand. It's very simple. You don't have to sit on the floor cross-legged with your hands in mudra chanting, you know, mantras and what have you. Just do a breathing meditation. And I learned something very valuable from Yanni Maniatis, who said three minutes is all you need. Now, if you can start your day with a three-minute breathing meditation, if that's the mm-hmm. you know that if, if that's the most you can squeeze in and do, guarantee you. And I tell people, look, a three-minute meditation, any meditation, but if you if you invest in this three-minute meditation every day, it's like you know how when you're on your computer and it's not kind of moving the way you'd like it to, and it's slowing down and slowing down, and and it's really becoming more of a, a pain to operate than you know you'd like it to be. Well, if you clear your cache, it starts to move a lot quicker, and it's easier, right? So when you meditate mm-hmm. in the morning three minutes, you're basically clearing your own cache, you know, so that you function yeah. better. Three minutes. People don't get it. I'd say something I've been doing quite a bit lately, um, for at least an hour a day, sometimes oh. a little bit less. Sometimes a little bit more, but a friend of mine in the UK, well, he's actually a Facebook friend, Glenn Harold. He has uh, has done some fantastic meditations based on the wow. Sarsegio scale. I love his meditations. Yes, I know They're what you're talking about. Brilliant. Yeah. Um, especially, especially the ones that he's got is, is based on the Sarsegio scale. Um, yeah. There's there's one that I'm doing right now, but um, I'm actually when it's coming to the end of the meditation, I want to start it again because. <laughs> Because I just yeah. I love it so much, um, and that's the the one that's at five hundred and twenty eight hertz. Right. It's that rhythmical background. It's um, it's actually a uh, the five twenty eight hertz is actually something that bioscientists use to heal broken DNA. Yeah. It is that it is that powerful, and. I I find that if I don't do it, then I feel that I've missed something, and sometimes things don't go quite the way that I wanted them to. So, you know, whether it's 40 minutes, whether it's an hour, or whether it's a three-minute breathing meditation, it certainly helps. It certainly helps you get you, you know, through the day. And well, I, was, I was doing one of his, because my sciatica flared up again, and it was extremely painful, and I was doing one of his every day when it was at the height of, of you know, its, its attack, kind of, and it's unbelievable how that meditation helped relieve the pain that I got to a point where I even forgot I had it, and I stopped doing the meditation, and all of a sudden it was like, hello, I'm back, and I went back, you know, I, I went back and did it, but it, it was amazing, yeah. 
Yeah, Glenn's done some really, really good uh, good meditations. But I'm, I'm sticking with that one for now because I, I and I think that's it's, it's something I think people get into and they do do it for a while. It's like they'll go into Tai Chi or they'll go into yoga. Yoga, and, right? You know, they'll, they'll do it for a month or so and think, yeah, this is great, and I'm feeling much better, and I'm drinking lots of water, and I'm getting my, you know, detox in the system. And after three or four months, it's it's like it becomes like going to the gym for some people. You know, people get pumped up and they want to go to the gym. They want to build themselves up and tone themselves, and they feel that inner urge. They feel that um, spirit within them that that keeps them going. Then after three or four months, they'll knock it down from you know going to the gym four days a week to three to two to one, and then you know. Winter sets in, it's poured the rain outside, thinking they're really kind of be bothered going to the gym in that weather. And it just fades away. And I think a lot of people do the same thing with, with meditation. They get excited about it and they'll do it for a little while and they start to feel the benefits. You know, I know some people that do meditation, they, they do some uh, inner healing, they do some Reiki and, and they start to feel the benefits. But it takes a lot of courage, it takes a lot of. Um, inner strength to continue with it. Um, and especially I think it when things takes, start to go a bit awry. And I think it takes a lot of self-love and a lot of times people think that self-love is selfish. So even though we do have self-love, we don't want to be selfish and we say, oh no, no, well, you know, I'm not going to do it or it's okay because I don't want to be selfish when that's really uh, a bad mindset because it's perfectly fine to love yourself and realize that in order for you to help anyone, you have to help yourself first. So it's okay to do what you need to do to make sure that you're 100%, you know, well. Whether that's Reiki mm-hmm. or meditation or exercise or yoga or whatever it is, but we just, you know, we feel okay. I did that, and I can, I can go on with the rest of my life, and I don't have, you know, it's okay. But no, it should always be, you know, it should be me first, but not in the selfish, greedy way, you know, in the healthy way. Yeah, of course, that's that's something that um, a lot of people just don't realize because, as you say, they think it's it's selfish, and it's, it's not. Right. Um, We're winding sorry, down here. I've got I've got two minutes left, bro, and I don't wanna I don't wanna throw you off the air or get cut off. <laughs> 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 it was wonderful having you on and I know you, you've got more more stuff coming up, so um I'd love to have you on again when we get down the road and, you know, see where you go and what you're doing for some new stuff. And uh, I wish you all the luck. It was lovely having you on as a guest. Thank you so much. Well, thank you. And I'm sorry I was late. That's okay. I I, I was doing my thing. (laughs) (laughs) It's all good, bro. It's all good. (laughs) So, can I leave you with a thought? Yes. My favorite word. My favorite word, namaste. My soul recognizes your soul. I honor the love, light, beauty, truth, and kindness within you because it's also within me. In sharing these things, there is no distance and no difference between us. We are the same. We are one. 
Namaste, and as the musketeers say, one for all and all for one. No, it was good talking to you. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show. Thank you, bro. And uh, we'll see what we can do a few months okay. down the line. See where we are. You Take have a great us. weekend in love, light, and healing. Bye, bye, bro. Kisses. Mwah. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if uh, you like, you can check this out in the archives. And I wish you all a lovely weekend in love, light, and healing. Namaste. Namaste.